my love. It starts with the two of us setting out on a walk, as we often do, Chorleywood to Chesham. The walk begins on the common, 80 hectares of what used to be grazing land and only five minutes from the Met line that takes us there. Rabbits, squirrels, foxes, badgers, munchak deer, voles, wood mice and slow worms still inhabit this common and you're fascinated with all of them. Look at you, running ahead, so full of joy at being off the leash, at being out here again with the ten-mile route you know so well before us. I stop for a moment behind some bushes to reach into my trousers and slide an icy cold pellet of germaloid into my arse. Do you know that if you go into the Journal of Clinical Nursing, you can find lengthy, ongoing debates and papers as to the best way of inserting rectal suppositories. A number of these take issue with a 1991 article in The Lancet suggesting that the tornado-shaped wedge of zinc oxide and lidocaine suspended in some kind of fatty substance is best inserted blunt end first. This is opposed to the more common-sense approach, which is the one I use in Chorleywood Common, pushing the pointy top of the, medic, uh, the medicinal torpedo past the sphincter and into the warmth of my backside. Backside. A silly word. It feels as if I'm easing a cold, steely bullet into myself while all around the well-heeled, Chorleywoodian bourgeoisie walk their cockapoos and labradoodles in the snow-flecked Saturday afternoon chill. This is not some kind of self-stimulatory anal play, my love, just in case you were wondering. This is not some kind of kink, but rather a situation I occasionally find myself in when the tension of being alive builds up in a way that presses on the very perimeters of my body until they tingle or sting to the point of discomfort, even pain. Do you remember the violent femmes? If you were a teenager in the 80s and 90s, which I was, you probably had some kind of experience of the violent femmes, that three-piece folk punk outfit who slapped and Tunneled their acoustic instruments with all the ferocity of any other electrified counterpart. In the early days, you could find them doing that on the Milwaukee streets, busking. And the one song that seemed to resonate the most with those people who saw them at the time begins in a bluesy fashion. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Wales, Gordon Gano, whose name also evokes the idea of guano, which is to say the accumulated excrement of seabirds and bats gathered and spread on arable land by Andean farmers for the last 1,500 years. Have mercy on me. There is a dramatic pause after the mercy plea as we wait to discover what existential burden Gordon is going to share with us. If you watch YouTube videos of them playing the song live, and I think you should, you get to see a masterclass in the curiosity-kindling use of the pause of anticipatory silence separating one electric phrase from the next. Have mercy on me. Wait, 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 wait. I've got... Pause. What have you got, Gordon? What have you got? I've got... And then the release. Have mercy on me. I got girl trouble. At this point, we almost turn away, switch off, even if we've got girl trouble or boy trouble too. And who hasn't? There's a certain compassionate investment here, hearing about Gano's girl troubles, but also the weariness of thinking this is going into a trope we've heard a million times before. But then the surprise, which hooks you and keeps you listening, keeps you there on the street corner hooked, 
is this next odd clause. Have mercy on me, I got girl trouble up the ass. That's right. Girl trouble up the ass. Not in our little soppy hearts, not in the soulful depths of us as we search for our other halves, an idea as old as Plato because created by Plato. No, these girl troubles start and end up one's own backside. Maybe because you have to crawl up your own backside in search of them, love being the most solipsistic of human activities, ironically, counterintuitively. I mean, isn't this thing called love centered on the other, selflessly so? No, not at all. It's always about ourselves. The girl and boy troubles stem from others, but they're up our own asses. And by the way, let's be equal opportunities when it comes to trouble up the ass. Let's be LGBTQIA here about troubles up the ass. So boy, girl, non-binary troubles up the ass is really what this song is about, is what this podcast maybe is about, I think as the song then joyously explodes into its punchy extension, whacked out on a couple of snare drums, a crash and ride cymbal, the troubles that can so easily come to dominate our lives, however we experience them, the troubles, the pain of relating to other weird, complex human beings, us being weird, complex human beings too. If we're not yet in a relationship, the itch and sting of wanting drives us to spending hours, hours, swiping on faces and bodies from our phones, texting, flirting, buying each other's drinks in bars. And if we're in a relationship, then we're moaning about how the other person doesn't meet our needs, because at some point, or even very quickly, they won't. They can't. They won't. So have mercy. Have mercy on all of us. The word love is bandied around a good deal, but I think it's fair to say that my search for a human partner is not entirely about love. When it comes to love, my love, I have so much of that already on a constant basis, every day with you and with others, albeit not sexual, and there's the rub, literally. Even now, recording this, I look over to where you are lying on the bed, stretched out, your head lolling over the edge of the mattress, eyes gently shut in the morning sun that streams through our window, belly rising and falling, pink in patches where the shortened backsides I asked Edwina to give you have revealed parts of your body right down to the skin. I love your body. I love everything about you. And I would do almost anything maybe anything without asking for that much in return other than companionship and something approximating the love the affection I think you might have for me but I have no proof that you do at least not consciously because maybe it's just all for food I don't know part of what gives us these troubles up the ass, I now think, is about trying to establish a certain kind of social parity with everyone else who has a significant other and their own troubles up the ass that come with that. I mean, like, you've got the latest iPhone, okay, I want the latest iPhone too. You get to occasionally stick your dick into another human being, okay, I want to stick my dick into another human being too. Or whatever genital configuration works for you on that front for, here's the Fisher-Price toy box of fingers and tongues and toes and dicks and vaginas and nipples and ears and fists, all made from good sturdy oak or pine or whatever, and painted in attractive colors. Play with them, get to see how they fit in and around and on top of each other, also behind. The word suppository derives from the medieval Latin suppositorium, the neuter of suppositorius, which means placed beneath. See also supponere, to put under. These are the bits, the bits and pieces of the so-called dating, relating, mating puzzle we are continuously fiddling with, trying to work out the best way to fit them together physically as well as metaphysically. 
and the word we use for all of this junk is love. Which might just be predicated on getting to sit and eat with another human being that you like and if one or either of you are in a good mood and come up with something funny to say, the other person might laugh. I want that too, thinks someone like you or me who doesn't have that yet or certainly not in that particular configuration. I mean, there's some great podcasts out there and any given evening we'll be chortling away at someone real and funny and clever, so intimate in our ears, those other orifices. But we want to hear the chortle back at some point, and then we want to be able to stick our dicks or our pussies or our fingers or our toes or our whatever. We want to just put the wood, the very branch and root of ourselves into another person. How weird is that? How weird is that? And, uh, well, weird or not, it's not an option when it comes to podcasts. Not yet. My love, we have fun together, right? Just last night at about 11.30, we were wrestling on the sofa and both of us were laughing. You too, I swear, you were laughing. You were laughing your ass off. I don't know if you've seen the video where the neuroscientist Yark Pansep tickles some rats and records their giggles. It was like that, except you are far better looking than a rat, Maxi boy. But you have never laughed at my jokes, and that's a bonding experience I enjoy having. But who's to say we get to have what we enjoy having, especially if it's reliant on another human being to give it to us? That's the crux of the matter. Have mercy on me. I God. And here's another song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. So, A. A stands for Amanda, Bumble Amanda, Amanda. Amanda and I boomed on Bumble just before Christmas last year. For those of you who aren't on the dating app Bumble, if someone has swiped right on you and then you swipe right on them, the app signals this confluence of liking or maybe just the confluence of maybe by creating an explosive screen effect with the word BOOM in capital letters and an exclamation mark hovering over intertwined circles of your profile pictures. The Bumble Boom, by the way, has been shown to raise dopamine levels 200% above their baseline, which also goes to explain why idiots like moi and maybe toi fritter away hours every day swiping left and right just to get that ever so occasional dopaminergic boom. I don't know about you, but I'm currently at a ratio of about one boom per 1,000 right swipes, which is kind of shitty odds, but better than the 1 in 47 million chance of winning the national lottery, right? Or even the 1 in 10,000 chance of finding a four-leaf clover, but still not as good as the odds for finding out that the person you've just boomed with has absolutely nothing in common with you whatsoever, is maybe pretty crusty looking in their other pictures, six years older, kids, cats, and lives in the East Midlands. The odds for that kind of boom are pretty good. One in three, I would say. So do the maths. To get a boom you actually want to initiate a conversation with, you may need to swipe right on about 3,000 shiny bumble faces. And that's a full-time job right there. So maybe it's a good thing I only see four or five clients a day in my non-swiping capacity as a counselor and psychotherapist. Otherwise, I'd never get anything done. I hardly get anything done anyway. Which is why if you are currently listening to this as a podcast is a miracle. Hmm. Or another way of looking at it as a profound sublimatory need to counter high levels of suffering brought on by spending too much time focused on the love safari. 
So, Bumble Amanda. Bumble Amanda looked cool. Dreads. She also had that meme on her profile about Bowie, Bowie, the one that reads, if you're ever sad, just remember the world is 4.543 billion years old and you somehow managed to exist at the same time as David Bowie, Bowie. I'm not a big Bowie Bowie fan, so I didn't necessarily go, oh wow, Zowie Bowie, Zoe Bowie, boing boing, when I saw that. But, you know, better than someone's holiday pics or a photograph of them hanging out with a bunch of their male friends who all have full heads of hair and seem really attractive and fun, and one of them has probably fucked her, and the others want to. And so, why are you on Bumble swiping on me? Oh, you're swiping left on me. Okay, that explains it then. Amanda, okay. We texted a bit over the holiday season, chatted on the phone, and then chatted again on New Year's Eve. Yes, because that's what two lonely middle-aged introverts do at the end of the year when everyone is out getting shit-faced, and they don't want to be out getting shit-faced. They sit on the phone with someone who amuses or interests them and talk about stuff. Uh, Dan Savage, Cosby, Kopi Luwak. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. You know, the coffee made from coffee beans that are partially digested and then defecated by the Asian palm civet out of its ass? Kopiluak. And also, what else did we talk about? Oh, yes. Gourds. G-O-U-R-D-S. Gourds. Google them. By the way, I'm an air sign. Gemini sun, Libra moon, Amanda fiery leo hence the delicious free associating nature of our conversations my favorite kind of conversations a bit like the one i'm having with you here right now a week later we were drinking overpriced malbec at the roebuck in hampstead not as fancy as it sounds but roomy and quietish good for introvert dating because hey We can't stand being in any public space trying to have a conversation while someone else is either eavesdropping on our conversation or having a conversation that we want to eavesdrop on ourselves. No. Amanda was, and still is, ace. Absolutely lovely. Laughed at my jokes, clever enough and well-read enough to get the psychodynamic explanation for why people might want to drink coffee made from the material picked out of the poop of small, mottled, grey creatures living up trees in Sri Lanka, and yet not so clever as to pick holes in my psychodynamic explanation for this trending hot drink. As our sex and dating guru Dan Savage would say, Yahtzee! But... But, 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 and not that but, not the ass but, but the but, but, tall, but tall, not so tall as if she were a boy, but she's not a boy, Amanda is my height tall, average man, boy, tall, five foot nine, one meter and another 75 centimeters on top of that, so, Walking to the overground station, I suddenly realize that I'm feeling kind of dwarf next to Amanda. I take her hand, which is hanging on her arm next to her torso, but because she's wearing heels, her hand seems about an inch or two above my hand. So I need to lift my shoulder with a certain amount of discomfort in order to make the hand clasp thing happen for us in a way that feels vaguely natural. Only it's not natural. What is natural is for a man to walk down a road holding his lover's hand the way a father might reach for his son or daughter's hand, not in a pedo way, but just in a kind of, ah, that feels good and protective and just a little bit sexy when you're doing it with the adult, not the child. And women, for the most part, want that too, which is why they want men who are taller than them, daddy tall men, for which Amanda is genuinely an exception to this rule as she doesn't seem to mind her partner being the same height or even slightly shorter than her. Maybe it's some kind of BDSM thing, I don't know. But for me this feels fucked up and weird and so ain't gonna happen with Amanda, I realize, which is kind of crushing even at that moment numbed by two glasses of overpriced Melbeck. So we have a week to hash it out and for both of us to feel sad about the soul connections scuppered by the body's exigencies. Give us a week for me to send her on WhatsApp that Holly Amos poem, we have no choice in the bodies that hold us. 
which is more about you and me, my love, but the title explains the problem that Amanda and I are facing now too. Do you want to hear that poem? Here we go. Recited from memory, one of the 60 or so poems I, I currently have tattooed on my heart. We have no choice in the bodies that hold us. Thing of dirt and water and oxygen marked by thinking and reacting and a couch one may or may not be permitted to sleep on. He may not permit me to touch him or to take the bone from his mouth, but he does. And that's a choice based on many factors, not the least of which is his own desire to let me do these things. How I could ever think or feel myself more deserving of a single thing than this being whom I call by a name, the same way my parents chose a name for me, the same way my genes went expressing themselves to make my face exactly my face. This isn't special, or this is special, but it's one answer. The same for us both. If you have a significant other in your life who also happens to be a cat or a dog, especially a dog, I think you'll probably get this poem. But even if not, if like me, you're just out there in the tragic disco of life dating, I think it will maybe resonate with the depth and complexity and frustration of both relating to other human beings as well as non-human beings. Both relationships are often based on thinking and reacting and touching and rewards and deprivations and naming and cherishing and also a kind of, what is this, perplexity. So profound, that perplexity, that people have and will continue to write books about those relationships, but also our relationship too, Max, yours and mine, this union of human and canine how meaningful and essential it is and how mysterious, ultimately, mysterious. And then scale that up or down, if you like, to human beings, especially those human beings we are grooming, not so great a word in this context, again with associations of pedophilia, but maybe the right word too, grooming other human beings on apps, auditioning them, testing them, running trials on them, which we call dating in order to see if this person might be someone who we are able to love, whatever that means, and they in return to love us back, whatever that means. And there are just so many layers to even the smallest, seemingly inconsequential parts of these exchanges. The fact that Amanda, for example, was also mixed race, and that I grew up in a country where race was a pretty big thing, maybe the only thing that anyone cared about when it came to deciding who to be friends with, who to hire for a job, who to have sex with or not have sex with, who to invite into your home. In the country I grew up in, people even had different plates. Dirt cheap, enamel plates and mugs, the ones you take camping. Enamel, I don't know. Why enamel? I don't know. Anyway, people had, we had enamel plates for people of different races who might partake f of food or drink in our homes. To what extent does, did, grow up, growing up in that country affect how I might interact with someone who has a different skin color to me? This is an important question. At least it is to me. Maybe to you too. And it's just one of the things I want to talk about in the next 26 alphabetized episodes. I hope you'll join me for this alphabet journey. Yesterday, my mother, I call her Ma, celebrated her 71st birthday. Today she's going to have her 16th tattoo inked into her arm. She already has, after having been dared by a colleague in the staff room, she used to be a teacher, uh, this was her on her 50th birthday, she has, that was her first tattoo, she now has a whole bunch of inked symbols across torso and limbs. She has a cartoon fish with giant bee stung lips, 
a dog's paw, the sign of Aquarius on her ankle, a paintbrush and easel, a heart which looks like two intertwined worms, maybe slow worms, mm -hmm. slow worms. Even if we had looked for them yesterday on Chorleywood Common, my love, we wouldn't have found any slow worms as they hibernate from October to May. Thank you, Wikipedia. Which is maybe what I should be doing too. I don't like winter. I feel more lonely during the winter months. Which is uh, another reason for podcasting. Slow worms are not really worms at all, but legless lizards. Called slow because easily caught, especially by your nemesis, my love, the cat. Linnaeus found a niche for them in his 1758 taxonomy and called them Anguis fragilis. Fragilis does not mean slow, but fragile. They're also called blind worms or long cripples. As soon as I start reading about slow worms, a certain kind of identification sets in. Are we not too somewhat slow and blind in matters of love? When it comes to love, are we not all a bit like that famous painting by Peter Bruegel the Elder, the one painted a year before his death, you know it, the procession of six blind, disfigured men traipsing across the Flemish countryside, every man depending on the one in front of him, arms extended, hands on shoulders, a kind of perverse conger with the man in the back not realizing yet, although we know because we can see, that the first blind man has already stumbled into a ditch and is flat on his back, flailing. And soon, all six of them will go down like skittles, the blind leading the blind. I worked as a couples therapist for a few years, the blind leading the blind. And frankly, I'm not sure you, whoever you are, you who are listening to me now, know that much more about love than I do, the blind leading the blind. And each man has a different eye affliction, for we are not all blind in the same way. One has corneal leukoma, one an atrophy of the eyeball. I'm talking about the guys in the painting here, by the way. One is photophobic. One man has no eyes at all. Like, did some psychotic family member stab them out when he was a child? Did he lose them in the war? We are all blind in love, but we are blind in different ways. Just to mix things up. Nature seems to enjoy a little bit of variety, as do we. Here's Ma talking about her new tattoo. Okay, it is my 17th one because he added 71 to the to number 13. But in actual new tattoos, it is my 16th tattoo. Okay. And okay. if you'd have told me 20 years ago I'd have 16 tattoos, I would have scoffed and said, right. never, never. So the reason it got I got to it is what it is, is because I had had strength, I had had this two-shot pass, and I had had Hakuna Matata, which means basically don't worry, be happy. And they all meant a lot to me. But there was something, there was there's something about it is what it is, which I seem to say a lot, particularly in lieu of what had happened happened with Dad last month. It just seemed even more pertinent and it was a toss-up between it is what it is and acceptance which which is really what it is what it is means to me and I just didn't like the word acceptance I just thought it was too long I, I thought of accept I thought of uh, acceptance accepted I didn't I thought under next to strength I could put it there that no, no, I don't like it and it had to be it is what it is yeah do you think that that's a good title for a podcast about the turbulence of dating. I think it's excellent. I think it's excellent. And it would be between that and this two shall pass. Because it is what it is. And this two shall pass is, are there for two specific... Well, it is, it is what it is, is there for two specific reasons. The one is, it is when you break up when you break up and you go through all this heartache if one can look at that and say it is what it is and it, this too shall pass it helps to get over it but also maybe it is what it is in when you meet somebody and 
maybe they don't fit the criteria perfectly. So as in they they are what they are. They are, they they, are what they, they are. This is yeah. what it is. You know, this can is I handle it? This is right. the deal. She's overweight or she's a bit young or she's got two small children or or she lives far away. This is what it is. Can I handle it? Do I want it? Do I want mm. this? This is what it is. So I think it's a I think it's a fabulous title for that, quite honestly. I really do. I think it fits it perfectly. I mean, what else are you gonna say? Strength, let's date, I'm in love, let's fall in love. And it's all twee. But it is what it is, is really good in two aspects, definitely. A lot of these things, if I was having tattoos when I was twenty, I don't think I'd have half of these, obviously. I'd have mm. completely different tattoos. I might slip my dog's paws. That's about all. Um, I'd have very different, not way out, but I'd have very different tattoos. The thing about these tattoos is they come with wisdom. Actually, wisdom might be my, one of my next words. Something to do with wisdom. I'll look up a phrase about wisdom. Because there is something about being wise, this whole thing of looking at and saying it, it is what it is, or this too shall pass, only comes with wisdom. You know, you don't think that when you're 25 or 20, this too shall pass. You don't think that when, when you're 25 or 20 and um, you, you, you lose your wallet or you lose a job or whatever. Oh, oh well, this, this is what it is and I must just put up with it. You have this uh, inevitable feeling of, no, you know, this is not good enough. I can fix this. I can do better. I, life is ahead of me, life's wonderful, but it is what it is, has a, has um, a, some sort of a fatalistic feeling to it as well, in that this is fate, this is, this is fated, and I am a fatalist, so maybe that's number three, the reason why I'd have that, because it mm -hmm. has a fatalistic thing, this is how it is, I believe this is my path, this has been set down for me, maybe on the 4th of the 2nd, 1948, and very little of what I did or didn't do will determine it. But there's a lot to do with, um, I think, ageing. I think ageing, yes. I think my next tattoo's got to have something about ageing as well. I think mm -hmm. the whole ageing thing, to look at it and say it is what it is, is really important, I think. Really important. It is what it is. But what is it? The it and the is. What happens when we put a question mark at the end of the assertion? It is what it is. What happens when we put a question mark next to this thing we spend so much of our lives doing? Looking for love, trying to hold on to it, struggling when the cracks start to show, as invariably they do, bereft and despairing when relationships break down entirely and we lose people to circumstance. What are we actually doing? When it comes to love and relationships, do you know? I don't. When I was a fervent Buddhist, as opposed to an undercover Buddhist, which I think is probably more my deal now, I used to read and sometimes go on retreats with Stephen Batchelor, uh, author of Buddhism Without Belief and Confessions of a Buddhist Atheist and other books. That Stephen bachelor had trained in Korea in the Seon tradition uh, which is kind of like a Korean Zen tradition and an intrinsic part of this Korean Zen enterprise was koan work which essentially entails meditating for a number of hours each day using an aggravating itchy existential question as a kind of mental tiller, a sort of focal point for the ever-wandering mind. And one of the classic Korean sewn koans or questions is the following. Have mercy on me, I got girl trouble up the ass. No, it's not that, is the following. What is this? What is this? That's it. Just three words. What is this? Question mark. And the first dude who took that three-word koan totally on board and ran with it 24-7 for eight years was a guy called Huirang. Apologies. 
I can't pronounce Korean. It's probably not Huirang, but anyway, that's my that's my best bet. Uh, Huirang, who lived in sixth century China, uh, lived on a mountain called Mount Song, and one day he heard about this other monk, this more famous monk on whatever social media grapevine existed in sixth century China, and this other monk was called Huineng. And Huineng was like the Russell Brand of his day. When Huineng died in 713, his body was coated in thick, shiny black lacquer, mummified, and then he was popped into this ornate glass case where he resides to this day. Which is how I expect Russell would probably like to be preserved for the rest of eternity when he pops his clocks. So, Huirang, who lives in the north of China, decides to make a pilgrimage to visit Huineng in the south. And as is often the case in these mythical stories, he arrives after a long journey, is led in to see the great guru, pleasantries exchanged. Where have you come from? asks Huineng. I've come from Mount Song, replies Huirang. So far, so good. And then, of course, it's time to drop the big existential bombshell, which the teacher, Huineng, does, perhaps uh, standing up. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he stood up or not, but I imagine he did. So standing up and he turns to his visitor and then like, boom, out comes the following provocation. Okay, Huirang. Okay. <laughs> but what is this thing? How did it get here? Huh? Ha, 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 ha. What is this? <laughs> maybe even pointing, prodding the bony chest of the other monk, to which Huirang replies, is what it is, old boy, is what it is, Giza, is what it is, my love, is what it is. I don't know. Actually, no, that was not his reply. As is necessary for the mythological clout of the story, Bachelor explains that after Huineng's what is this thing, what is this shtick with, you know, the I guess the this referring both to the visitor, Huirang himself, like who are you, who are you really, but who are you really, as well as the very nature of conscious existence, right? After this challenging question, what really happened, or so we are told, is that uh, Huirang was rendered speechless, didn't know what to say. Hashtag WTF. So, what does he do next, Huirang? Go back to Mount Song? No. Huirang spends the next eight years of his life as a disciple to Huineng, meditating in the latter's monastery and focusing entirely day in and day out on this question. What is this? 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 Just asking himself the question again and 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 just working through all the different layers of his mind and heart, the rational responses, the baffled and befuddled responses, the cynical and sarcastic responses, the depressed and the avoidant responses, the silly responses, the chin-stroking responses, eight years worth of mental chatter. I don't know, by the way, why it was eight years as opposed to seven years or six years. Maybe Hurang decides to leave the monastery after eight years and go off and become a DJ or something. I don't know. But anyway, after eight years, they have a final chinwag. And Huineng now says, okay, dude. Because they're, I mean, they've been hanging out for eight years. Of course, he's going to say, okay, dude. Okay, dude. So you've been meditating on this question for eight years now. Let's say 10 hours of meditation a day, maybe asking yourself, what is this 20 to 30 times an hour on the meditation cushion, off the meditation cushion, on the loo, off the loo, gardening, cooking, maybe even while asleep. So basically, Kimo Sabe, you've wrestled with this, what is this? Let's say, I'm just doing the maths here on my iPhone, but I guess uh, Huineng did it all on the fly. I mean, if you're a good meditator, you're going to be pretty fucking good at mental arithmetic. So, so he goes like, okay, so you've asked yourself, what is this 876,000 times? <sighs> so hit me, big boy. Give me the lowdown, the guru says to his disciple. Give me the lowdown. <laughs> to which Huirang answers, eh, eh. I imagine him doing quite a bit of this. Uh, eh, eh, ah, eh. 
And then he goes, and this is the final answer, by the way. Are you ready? He goes, um, Have mercy on me. I got girl trouble up the ass. No, he doesn't say that. He goes, <laughs> To say it is like something misses the point. Or maybe he goes, to say it is like something misses the point. Or maybe he goes, to say it is like something misses the point. I mean, take your pick, right? Uh, to say it is like something. To say to, to say it is like something. To, to say it is like something. Uh, he goes, to say it is like something misses the point. That's it. So after eight years, 876,000 attempts to answer the what is this question, the, the take home is to say it is like something, to say it is like something, Huineng, for me to say it is like something, it just, just totally misses the point. In other words, I think, uh, to answer the question, to say, but also to answer it, this thing, this conscious experience of being alive right here, right now, me saying the sentence on a Sunday morning, wearing my ladies' leggings from Primark, very metrosexual, and navy blue Crocs, not so metrosexual, saying this into a microphone propped in front of an open cupboard full of clothes so as to suck the echo out of my voice, and you may be listening at some point in the future dressed however you are, wearing whatever you're wearing, to even attempt to compress this multi-sensorial, time-saturated data of eight-year-long inquiry into a single sentence or a podcast or some language utterance, whatever language that is, is kind of pointless, is what he seems to be saying. And yet the preceding eight years of 876,000 inner dialogues, the back and forth process of asking and answering, of letting the mind unfill and then drawing back to the question again, presumably meant something to him had some kind of value in his soon-to-be-dirt-in-the-ground life, at least to that person having that dialogue with himself, like, like, like someone speaking on a podcast with almost no listeners. Check. <sighs> Stephen Batchelor writes about this uh, exchange. He writes... Of course, the true source of this question lies within ourselves. Yeah, no shit, Steve. It's a question that gives voice to the question of our own existence. And by that, I don't just mean my personal existence. This is still Stephen Batchelor, by the way. I don't just mean my personal existence in this body sitting on this chair, but also everything that made this possible. All the conditions that have given rise over the last 15 billion or so years to what we are now. Prior to the distinction between self and other, you and me, you and the world. Before this, I am here and you are there, something primordial rather, like the sense of world that an unformed child might have. I'm going to say that again. Prior to the distinction between self and other, you and me and the world, before this I am here and you are there, something primordial rather, like the sense of world that an unformed child might have. And that's something primordial, can't be put into language. But don't we give it our best shot, James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, George Eliot. Ultimately though, spoiler alert, to answer the big question, what is this? What is this dating? What is this swiping? What is the search for a romantic partner leaves us? And I have to break this down to you, even on the first episode of The Quest, The Alphabet Quest, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, etc. Leaves us with... <laughs> This answer, to say it is like something misses the point, but I'm still going to say it is like something, of course I am. In other words, is what it is, or even better, is what it is? Now go and ask yourself that question 876,000 times. Is what it is? Is what it is? Is what it is? Is what it is? Mm. Is what it is? Mm. Is what it is? Mm. 
Because even after 30 plus years of asking that question, really investigating it, uh, as if my life, my sanity, my well-being counted on me having some kind of answer to that question, which maybe it does, I still don't know what it is. What are these dating-relating troubles up the ass that we're all struggling with? Is it just down to the merry-go-round illusion-delusion that looks a bit like this? Hopes go up, hopes dash, 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 bling blong, bling blong, hopes go up, hopes dash, hopes go up, hopes dash, bling blong, bling blong, which sucks. Or is it something more than that? What is the is in this is? What it is? What? <sighs> Have mercy on me. And that's what I want to work out here, if I may, or at least give it my best shot. I want to think about relationships, because even the smallest exchange with someone on a dating app is a kind of relationship which starts with interest, some kind of attraction, getting closer, energy being spent in sending words, ideas, notions out to another human being, even the smallest back and forth ending as so many of them do with a fizzle, a misfire, uh, an uncomfortable fall, like that first blind man in the, in the, in the Bruegel painting stumbling into the ditch and everyone after him collapsing too. Even those tiny little exchanges which go nowhere um, are relationships, which means all of us are now having hundreds of irksome, frustrating, weird, puzzling relationships with people on a monthly or even a, a daily basis if you get a lot of swipes. And what is this wonky, tumbling gestalt we call love, this itchy, unsatisfactory, yearning gestalt which has so often a kind of painful charge to it? What is it? Is what it is? <sighs> I've been shifting between these two possible titles for this podcast all week. Is what it is? And what is this? But as I'm finishing off my edits, I realize that the koan question, what is this? What is this dating thing, this relating thing, this romance thing? Ah, what is this? What is this? That's really what it's about, right? I mean, I have lots of ideas, but very few answers. But this is my koan for now. This is my koan, and I'm going to work it. And I want to explore this with you in the next 26 episodes, and I hope you'll come along for the ride. A few nights ago, getting into bed, pleasantly stoned, I had a sudden realization, the kind that cannabis sometimes gifts us with, a kind of aha moment, not dissimilar to all those stories of Buddhist monks suddenly bestowed with a completely unhindered glimpse into the very essence of reality. So I picked up my phone, as I do at those moments, and I hit record on voice memo, and I spoke what I was thinking um, so that I wouldn't forget in the morning so that I could listen to it again. And I'm going to play that for you now. My love, I know that I will probably... Either when you or Ma dies. And at some point, both of you. I will look back on these days as the days where I actually had everything. Everything I needed to be happy. be truly, truly loved, that I had all of that, and yet I spent 80% of my time 
thinking about people on dating apps. I love you whether or not you love me. I love you even if you think that I don't. You've been listening to the first episode of What Is This? With me, Steve W. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you giving me and my words 50 minutes or so of your time. Thank you. Also, big thank you to Ma for talking about her tattoos with me, to Amanda for spending New Year's Eve 2018-2019 on the phone with me, and to Max for spending every day with me. All the incidental music on this podcast, apart from the Gordon Gano, have mercy on me, has been graciously supplied by Jason Shaw. Jason, you are the best, man. You just are. Uh, You can find him at audionautics.com. Thank you. Also, thank you to Lauren Hoffman. Incredibly interesting Lauren Hoffman, who let me use a cover of What Is Love as my outro music. Big love to Lauren. Go and check out her music. She's amazing. You're amazing. Ciao for now. Bye. That is why I don't mind you doubting What is love anyway? Does anybody love anybody anyway? What is love anyway? Does anybody love anybody? Circumstance may lead someone away from you, and not to spend your time just doubting what is love anyway. Does anybody?